I'm talking about churches that mistreat their clergy to the point where the pastors totally burn out, then point fingers of blame at them while also pointing them to the door. Most who haven't been or at least lived with clergy members really have little to no idea the pressure these people are under. They are expected to conform to a specific image, perform their duties on superhuman levels, maintain high levels of selflessness and self-denial, and must never, ever, ever tire of serving the people that they are charged to lead. The pressure to keep the game face mm -hmm. and to always deliver this specific persona is intense. You are not allowed to have a bad day. Yeah. You are not allowed to have a bad attitude about anything. Everything has to remain positive. Everything has to remain very, very focused. You are simply not allowed to be you. Welcome to Unbound, a podcast for new atheists and lifetime atheists, ex-evangelicals, truth seekers, and free thinkers. There is life after faith. And life here is good. It's time for a new perspective and a better conversation. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And, and it's, it's time to get Unbound. You know, this happens a lot. I say something in one episode that just kind of stays with me. And sometimes those thoughts expand into entire episodes. This is one of those times. Last week, I talked about suicide rates among clergy and attributed that to the problem of not being able to feel Christ's love. Well, that's a major reason why they do it, but it's far from the only one. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And tonight we are tackling the subject of mental illness among the clergy. Mental illness, it's not just for parishioners anymore. It's a huge problem among the clergy, particularly evangelical ministers in mainline denominations. That includes everyone from the Baptists to the Pentecostals to everything and anything in between. But before we get into that, it's time to take another ride down the rabbit hole of evangelical fuckery. Um, Shell, <laughs> you have two stories for us tonight. One about a literal Peter and another about a fake prophet. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that is what we've got. So I'm getting really sick of hearing 45's name, but unfortunately in this segment, we're going to be hearing it. Do we have to? Unfortunately, yes, because evangelical Christians have shifted their attention from Jesus to America, fuck yeah, to stop the steal. Okay, if we must. Yes, if unfortunately, must. Trump is the object of their worship currently. So, In an article on Right Wing Watch, author Peter Montgomery warns about a Trumpist state senator from Pennsylvania who plans to be running for governor in 2022. Right Wing Watch has been monitoring Senator Doug Mastriano's rise in the right wing media sphere as he thrust himself to the forefront of opposition to pandemic related public health restrictions and aggressively promoted former President Donald Trump's false claims that the election was stolen from him through fraud. The article on Right Wing Watch actually cites a New Yorker profile written by Eliza Griswold called A Pennsylvania Lawmaker and the Resurgence of Christian Nationalism. Here is the opening paragraph of this article because she says it better than I ever could. Doug Mastriano, a Republican state senator representing Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and parts of neighboring counties, was a little-known figure in state politics before the coronavirus pandemic. But in the past year, he has led rallies against mask mandates and other public health protocols, which he has characterized as the governor's autocratic control over our lives. Oh, brother. He has become a leader of the Stop the Steal campaign and claims that he spoke to Donald Trump at least 15 times between the 2020 election and the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. He urged his followers to attend the rally at the Capitol that led to the riots, saying, I'm really praying that God will pour his spirit upon Washington, D.C. like we've never seen before. Throughout this time, he has cast the fight against both lockdowns and Trump's electoral loss as a religious battle against the forces of evil. He has come to embody a set of beliefs characterized as Christian nationalism, which center on the idea that God intended America to be a Christian nation and which, when mingled with conspiracy theory and white nationalism, helped to fuel the insurrection. 
Violence has always been a part of Christian nationalism. It's just that the nature of the enemy has changed. While Mastriano would seem to be just another run-of-the-mill Trumpist, he is loud and has a growing audience, especially among white nationalists and militia groups. While people like Franklin Graham would say that Christian nationalism doesn't exist, that sort of denial makes it harder to fight against its encroachment on our society and politics. Again, from the New Yorker article. Meanwhile, researchers and religious scholars continue to document the impact Christian nationalism has had on public attitudes and debate on everything from race to COVID-19 to U.S. foreign policy and to the big lie promoted by Trump and his supporters that Trump had the 2020 presidential election stolen from him. In her reporting for The New Yorker, Griswold spoke with some of Mastriano's constituents who found Mastriano's mix of biblical references and warlike talk troubling and reported that some have become concerned about speaking out publicly as Mastriano's fan base came to include an increasing number of white nationalists and militia members. Now, I hadn't even heard of this guy before I scanned the right wing watch for stories to put in this segment, but sometimes... Christians behaving badly doesn't necessarily mean that they do something specific and egregious that needs to be called out. Sometimes you have to name them as a Christian who uses the Bible as a hammer to harm our democracy, who uses his politics only for power over people, and who solves problems with violence and threats. While the election of Biden was a good thing for the country, it has also energized a whole new platform of Trumpist clones who distrust science, who believe they want theocracy, and who want to evangelize at the point of a knife. So that takes care of Peter. I guess it's time to talk about this so-called prophet. Yeah, you gotta love them these days. They're never right, and they firmly believe they are prophets, that God speaks directly to them, and that they're doing God's work. Self-proclaimed prophet Hank Kuhneman said on Flashpoint, a conservative Christian news show, that God is testing Christians to see which ones will continue to trust the prophets who guaranteed Trump's re-election in the 2020 election. Those who continue to do so are going to be rewarded, he said. Kuhneman, who also claims that God told him after the 9-11 terror attacks that he would raise up a president from New York City who will bring this nation back on course and this president will be given two terms, says that the Biden presidency is a test of faith for all believers. He insisted that Trump won and that the nation is being tested. He then proceeded to prophesy, do not think for a moment that I am not working or that I have been silent. I have allowed hell to make it appear as though they have won and they are winning and they have been wringing their hands. They have been celebrating. Didn't you just tell them? Doesn't hell now know? Yeah. I mean, and these these people never cease to amaze me with just how ridiculous the things are that they say Yeah. and the fact that they can get people to believe them. I don't know whether to be appalled or impressed by that part of it. No, it's crazy. Great fear is even in the very bowels of hell, he continued. Isn't that a line from Hellraiser? It does seem like that. <laughs> it sounds like it could have Your been suffering something... will be legendary even in hell. Oh, yeah. That sounds like a pinhead line to me. <laughs> and those who are cooperating with evil, why are they afraid? It is because of what I am in the process of doing and what I will do that I will bring an Independence Day to this nation. I will deliver it. I will set it free. The full prophecy is in the Right Wing Watch article, but really it's just more of the same with these prophets. They're desperately crying for their president to come back. And I just have no idea when that is going to end, when they're going to understand. I don't know. There's just such a delusion about these people that is so thick. I mean, it's just, it's really like... It's beyond thick. It's like impenetrable. Yes. It's crazy just how invested these people are in this concept. And I mean, the rest of the world knows that this is a done thing. The rest of the world understands that it was done fairly. Right. But this stuff just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back. It started with the tantrums right after. I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. I hear the sound of victory. It just, it's gotten so much worse since. And 
what precisely is it going to take? That's what I want to know. And I think, honestly, the answer is nothing. This will be over when 45 is dead and gone. Yeah. That's when it's going to be over. And it Mm -hmm. won't be over before then. This dude could be 95 years old and completely addled in the head way, way more than he is now. And these people are still going to want to put him back in that Oval Office again. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. It really, you know, I want to say it doesn't make any sense, but I've been too far into the heads of these people. Right. To say that it doesn't make sense. It's just not, it's. It's not that it doesn't make sense. It's just the sheer audacity yeah. of the way that they think and this notion that they have going over and over and over again in their head that somehow they have the power to change things, turn back the clock, and give this election to this idiot to fuck up this country for four more years. Yeah. Oh, God. I just I don't understand precisely how you get to this point of things. Because I ran into some crazy people. I ran into people who will believe anything that you tell them if you tag on the Lord said. Right. I met plenty of people like that. But I don't know. Maybe it's just the lack of common sense that has really started to permeate society that now we have people who really just are so incapable of seeing logic that they just stay on this one train of thought and it just perpetuates and it grows and it's like a fucking cancer inside their head and they can't get rid of it. Yeah. I've never in my life seen anything like this. In my lifetime, I have never seen people go this nutsy cuckoo over anything. I miss Nazism. That's the closest thing that I can think of. Yeah, yeah. With the sheer number of people that believed all this crazy shit that Hitler had to say. Right. That's the the closest thing that I can come up with to this. I didn't understand Nazism. And I sure as fuck don't understand this. No, no. And I think it's probably better if I don't. Yeah, I think so If my brain could really piece it together, I think that would be way, way worse. Yeah. So I guess that the Christians are still waiting for their second coming of Trump Oh, of course they are. I'm seeing the bumper stickers all over the place. Trump 2024. It's like people dream the fuck on. I know. He's he's not going to have the strength. He's not... He's going to be exponentially crazier then than he is now. And I'm sorry. I feel like even if he were to try and run, that he would finally just be too batshit insane for even the Republican Party to endorse. That's what I think is going to be happening in four years from now. He's not going to be competent to serve in any capacity. And he's not going to be able to make it past the primaries. No, it's crazy. He's just... He's too old to do it at this point. Well, he was too old when he started, and he was sinking more and more into dementia as things went on. Dementia and delusion, that's all this guy knows at this point. He is sick in the head. He is so, so sick in the head. And so, of course, we're going to keep watching this and see where it goes and what more transpires out of all of this. But I honestly, and call me naive, there will be people out there that will say that I'm wrong. I honestly can't see how he could possibly pull off another run in 2024. Yeah. But he surprised us before with the fuckery that he's pulled off. So who the hell knows? Well, I hope you're right. Yeah, I hope I'm right, too. Yeah. And a lot of people out there, I'm sure, hope that we're right and that, uh, that we don't have to go through this hell again. Yeah. With him, even as a candidate, fuck being the president. Just with him as a candidate again. Because that was hell in and of itself. Yeah. All right. So thanks for two more riveting stories from the world of this fuck show that is evangelical faith. (laughs) Before we get into our main topic, just real quick, our Patreon is up at patreon.com slash unbound podcast network. If you go over there, you have the golden opportunity to make what we like to refer to around here as a donation. Five bucks, that's just over a buck an episode. We have been churning out really good content for a while, taking very, very few breaks, making sure that we are providing what we say we're going to provide to our patrons. And we would love for you to be one of them. 
if you have the means to help us out financially, then please just have a quick look at our Patreon. The link is in the show description. The link is all over our website, but it's also really easy to remember. Patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network, and you will find us right there. And if you don't have the means to support us financially, then support us with your clicks, your likes, your shares, your five-star ratings, your reviews, whatever you can do for us is going to help us out. And we appreciate it tremendously. I've got so much to say on this topic that right now I just want to get into it and start purging some of the stuff (laughs) that's going on in my head about this. Yeah. So we're talking about mental illness among the clergy and how it's dealt with. I don't think I'm going to give anything away by saying up front that it's typically dealt with pretty poorly. The clergy are and always have been among the most overlooked church members when it comes to recognizing mental illness. And the way it's dealt with in the local church is usually anything between uncaring, self-serving, and cruel. Most of the time, it culminates with the pastor being asked to resign, you know, so they don't have to shell out UI benefits and to scapegoat their own ignorant, compassionless actions. But this often doesn't happen before at least one round of vilification and accusation that is typically very public and often polarizing to the congregation. Now, I'm not talking about pastors that get shamed out of their positions for things like having affairs with the choir director's wife or for knowing willful misconduct that would get anyone fired from their job. I'm talking about churches that mistreat their clergy to the point where the pastors totally burn out, then point fingers of blame at them while also pointing them to the door. I'm also talking about the absolutely vile way that many church boards deal with disclosed mental illnesses and their pastors who just want the opportunity to get well while continuing to pursue their callings. And let me tell you, this happens often. What's even worse, though, are churches that turn a blind eye to what the pressures of church ministry do to their pastors and allow their leaders to simply deteriorate as human beings until they resign are forced to resign. These fucking cowards rarely fire pastors outright. Until they go so crazy they can't do their jobs or function in society anymore, or they die by natural or unnatural means. Now, I know that last bit sounds a little extreme, and fortunately, the worst of examples are rare. It's all the cases that settle somewhere in the middle that do the most damage, and that is where we are going to set our sights for this conversation. The vast majority of my comments tonight come from a single source from wallstreetjournal.com. It's an article called, It's Like I Got Kicked Out of My Family, Churches Struggle with Mental Health in the Ranks by Ian Lovett. U.S. federal law protects workers with disabilities in a majority of industries. In many or most cases, mental illness is considered a disability. Religious organizations, however, have always enjoyed being what I consider to be a shameful exception to the rule. Church employees, including pastors, are regularly fired or, more to the point, coerced into quitting if they dare to disclose having mental health issues. The Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA, requires employers to make, quote, reasonable accommodations for workers who have physical or mental conditions that affect their ability to perform their job duties. Anyone in any normal industry who believes they've been let go from a job over any disability, including mental illness, can sue. But here's the crazy part. ADA rules don't apply to faith-based employees who work for organizations that are defined as churches, and asserting rights under ADA rules is particularly difficult for members of the clergy. Here's a direct quote from the article. In 2012, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a, quote, ministerial exception to the ADA. It's religious freedom, said Myra Creighton, a lawyer in Atlanta who specializes in disability law. Courts don't want to get into telling churches who they may hire or fire. And while I do see the point, it leaves the door wide open for this privilege to be abused. And it's abused over all kinds of reasons, not just mental illness. Not wanting to continue to pay a high salary to their pastor, a perceived lack of attention to parishioners, church management practices that satisfy most but are perceptibly poor to that one board member, and we don't like you anymore, are 
all perfectly valid reasons to force a pastor out, and no matter how discriminatory the reason, he usually has zero recourse and often won't qualify for UI or unemployment insurance. Many go from parsonage to homeless in a heartbeat. I knew at least two ministers who were in their 40s, in their 40s, and had to move back in with their parents. And by they, I mean the pastor, his wife, and as many as four kids who literally found themselves homeless overnight because dad lost his position and they all had to vacate the parsonage on short notice. That's crazy. Yes, it is, but I've seen it more than once. Some even have to choose between their possessions and a place to put them, sometimes renting storage units to preserve their possessions and memories, and then not even having enough money left over to put a deposit down on an apartment after. These things literally, actually, factually happen, and it is disgusting. Criminals get treated better than this. Going back to the article, for eight years, Brady Herbert led a booming church in Waco, Texas. The congregation had a couple hundred members when he took over and grew to an average of more than 1,200 people on Sundays. By early 2018, he told the church's elders he was burning out and needed a break. They gave him paid leave. Seems reasonable. Mm. I mean, that part to me, I looked at and said, well, okay, that's actually kind of cool. Back to the quote, while on leave, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Anxious about how the elders would react, he told them only that he'd been diagnosed with a mental health condition and was taking medication. A week later, he said the elders made clear to him that he would not be allowed to return as lead pastor and he agreed to resign. When they got a whiff of mental health issues, Mr. Herbert, now 37 years old, said they wanted to wash their hands of it and move on like a lot of churches do. The elders said Mr. Herbert resigned of his own accord. Bullshit. He did not. Mm. And this sort of thing happens a lot, especially in large mainline evangelical denominations. But like with many things associated with the dark underbelly of evangelicalism, statistics on mental health and evangelical ministers are scarce. Even pastors who have the nerve to do what's needed to treat and manage their mental illnesses and manage to hold things together vocationally are often fired or asked to resign. Suicide among pastors is a common result of losing their pulpits. Back to the article, although churches have grown more willing to discuss mental health in recent years, what churches? Talk to me, Wall Street Journal. Many congregations continue to believe that any mental health problem reflects a spiritual deficiency or lack of faith in Christ. This leaves many of these highly enlightened creatures both sitting on the board and in the pews to ask, how am I going to listen to this guy if he can't deal with his own problems? And the pressure that modern ministers often find themselves under is pretty intense. Again, from the article, Tony Rose, a Southern Baptist minister who counsels pastors with depression, said there is a widespread expectation that Christians, especially pastors, quote, are supposed to have it all together. And boy, do I know a thing or two about that. The pressure to keep the game face Mm -hmm. and to always deliver this specific persona is intense. You are not allowed to have a bad day. Yeah. You are not allowed to have a bad attitude about anything. Everything has to remain positive. Everything has to remain very, very focused. You are simply not allowed to be you. And that in and of itself can induce a good degree of mental illness or post-traumatic stress when you finally get out of that situation. Yeah. Now, some people, when making these accusations and trying to push their pastors out of their positions, even go as far as attacking the pastor's prayer life as cause for mental illness because, of course, there's nothing that can't be effectively dealt with and there is no problem too difficult to solve through prayer. (laughs) A minister with mental illness is a minister who lacks faith and or spiritual discipline and subsequently needs to go. Brady Herbert also said that he felt isolated in his job. And boy, don't I understand that one, too. Quote, in October 2017, he gave a sermon that touched on his struggles. He said, I have wrestled in recent months with my ability to lead this congregation through the season that we're in. I have not handled it well at times in my own life and even in my own marriage. 
After the sermon, he said one of his elders told him that if he'd gone one step further, he would have been out of bounds. The elders didn't respond to questions about the sermons. So he even reached out to these people and said, okay, so what exactly tickled your asshole here? You yeah, know, really. and, and got silence as a result. And it wouldn't be the first time that he got fed silence by these cowards. Keep yeah. listening. Like with many pastors, the stress of a pastor's life continued to wear away at Brady's mental health. There was tension at home and his marriage was suffering. In early 2018, he broke down during a private service with his church staff during which he said that he, quote, couldn't lose his family over the job and would resign if necessary. It was at this time that he was offered paid leave to get his marriage back on track. Sounds good on the surface, right? They agreed to up to 24 weeks paid leave, but described the leave as indefinite on paper. Mm. So they knew what they were going to do to him, basically. It was during his leave that Herbert was diagnosed with bipolar 2, and that right there was the last nail in the coffin. Now, this is a mercifully more mild form of the disorder that presents with less severe manic episodes, but it does bring with it its own unique share of problems also. He was put on meds to regulate the condition and returned after just nine weeks, which I find impressive. You know, part of me says it's soon, yeah. But he was doing what he was supposed to do. Right. So nine weeks, that's that's all right, as far as I'm concerned. Someone who suffers from this may be able to tell me a little bit different. Did he come back a little bit too soon, or was this about right? To me, it seems like it a seems good... Quick, but... It seems quick, but... It's quick, but to me, it does seem like a reasonable time frame. It wasn't two weeks, okay? Right. We're talking about um, just over two months. Yeah. And... You could do a decent amount of head clearing in two months. This is true. And especially if you're getting help, especially if you're on meds and those meds have kicked in and they're doing what they're supposed to do. Maybe, sort of, but I can see where there could also be just a little bit of apprehension there, too. So after nine weeks, he comes back and meets with the church board. And there he's met with skepticism. And some of the elders were not comfortable with him coming back. Here's how he responded. It sounds like you guys are telling me there's no pathway for me to come back, Mr. Herbert recalled telling them. He said he was met with silence and in response offered to resign. The Harris Creek Elder Board said that, quote, Brady advised the elders that he did not see himself ever being able to return to his former role as lead pastor at Harris Creek and that he voluntarily resigned. That's not what happened. He wow. posed the question and they never bothered to fucking answer him. That is so, that's it's, terrible. Yeah. It just makes me so mad. You know what else it is? Common. Yeah. And that's yeah. the problem. So, of course, the notion that he left on his own was nothing but a big fat lie. He wanted to come back. That's what that entire meeting was about. He had his shit together, at least in his own head he did, and was proactively treating his condition. The stuffed shirts on the board couldn't deal with the imagined stigma of having a pastor with diagnosed mental illness. So they turned into the lifeless, silent, whitewashed tombs that they were mm -hmm. and just gave him the silent treatment until he put two and two together and quit. Two words. Fucking cowards. Yeah. Depression, bipolar, and other mental disorders are a huge issue among ministers, as is mental and emotional burnout. Most who haven't been or at least lived with clergy members really have little to no idea the pressure these people are under. They are expected to conform to a specific image, perform their duties on superhuman levels, maintain high levels of selflessness and self-denial, and must never, ever, ever tire of serving the people that they are charged to lead. They aren't allowed a lot of time to themselves, if any, and they are expected to tend to the spiritual needs of their faithful 24-7-365. I've even heard of pastors cutting vacations short to deal with things that crop up at church while they're away. And that's not even the craziest stuff I've experienced and or witnessed myself. Most pastors are unabashedly used by people for emotional support, and it is expected that the pastor assume the most appropriate role, pastor, counselor, confidant, friend, or any combination of the above when dealing with other people's problems. 
Some major church organizations, like the infamous Southern Baptist Convention, claim that there has been more discussion and more acceptance of mental illness in all levels of church ministry from the pew to the pulpit over the last two decades. And yet, they still manage to have very little involvement or oversight when it comes to local churches, leaving it to the pragmatism and objectivity of local church boards when dealing with mental health issues in their own ministers. I think it goes without saying that this really doesn't result in a lot of fairness or impartiality when it comes to taking reasonable actions in situations of mental illness within the clergy. According to the article, there is a, quote, culture of secrecy surrounding mental health in far too many churches. I like that term. It makes a good point. Churches don't like letting anyone, either from within or without, see their weaknesses. Some approach this from the position of protection. Most approach it from the position of silencing, ostracizing, and removal of anyone or anything that threatens to taint their image. There are churches that will let a crazy pastor be their pastor for years, even decades. But most are way too concerned with their image to ever let it go on for that long. Because a crazy pastor doesn't bring in new tithers. Nope. And that's the problem right there. This is why most of them lie and tell the congregation that their pastor, quote, decided to leave. It doesn't fly over everybody's heads, but it does most people's. Those who are intelligent enough to see what's really going on often leave the church and sometimes commit to going wherever the ostracized minister manages to land. I've seen that. I've seen that a few times. That is, if that person decides to continue their ministry career, because many of them don't. This is one of the many things that causes church splits. I don't know how many churches where we lived in New York existed because of church splits, but oh, there gosh. were loads of them. Loads of them. Loads of them. And sometimes the people who went to those churches weren't in any way, shape, or form embarrassed about airing their dirty laundry. And this is where we came from. This is where we are. This is why we left. And some of these stories, my God, you couldn't write soap operas with storylines like those. So. Just to recap what we've gone over so far, Brady Herbert requested a leave of absence. He took the time to explore what was going on with him. He got diagnosed with bipolar 2, and after all of that, after doing what he took leave to do, and his board knew it and endorsed it to his face, he was dismissed upon his return. This is a guy who successfully grew his church from a couple hundred to well over a thousand, remember. He was a successful pastor who knew and executed the duties of his job well. They shoved him out because he tainted their image. And while I'm not terribly happy about so many people getting sucked into this religion, that's putting it very lightly, Mm -hmm. I have to assume many had already drunk the Kool-Aid and saw greener pasture around this particular shepherd when they started attending his church. In other words, for good or for bad, he was doing his job and doing it well despite his illness. He was attracting people who had already drunk the Kool-Aid and was bringing new converts into the fold. He was able to lay aside the symptoms of bipolar and get shit done. That right there is strength beyond anything I personally know. And yet, and yet, he lost his job because mental illness is a weakness on both personal and spiritual levels. And as far as his board of elders was concerned, he was not fit to lead that congregation anymore because he had a diagnosis. And he had the balls to tell them. Yeah. Then there's the story of Greg Atkinson. For years, this guy towed the line that he had made the voluntary decision to vacate his pulpit at Forest Park Baptist Church in Carthage, Missouri. But that just wasn't the case. Quote, again from the same article, he told the congregation in 2013 that the church's insurance company had found out that he suffered from a, quote, mood disorder and refused to continue liability coverage if he remained on staff. He was stepping down, he said, rather than force the church to choose between him and insurance coverage. Then he moved to North Carolina and found a job at another church. How stupid do you have to be to believe that an insurance company is going to drop you over something like that? Yeah, that's crazy. Or drop your church, because this is the lie that they told the congregation, basically. Yeah. When Pastor John Swadley was asked about the situation, he admitted that Atkinson had been fired. 
citing that the church's insurer threatened to terminate coverage if he was allowed to remain on staff. However, quote, the church's insurer, Guide One Insurance, which insures many churches, disputed Mr. Swadley's account. We had no role in Mr. Atkinson's departure from the church, said Christy Gooding, a spokeswoman for Guide One. We do not ask any questions related to mental illness in our underwriting process, just like any insurance company. Atkinson now works as a church consultant. He was worried at the time about going public with his bipolar diagnosis, and he was right to be. He thought it would be, quote, shooting his career in the foot, and he was right about that too. He decided to embrace truth, and just like anything else that involves the truth, he was met with aggressive aversion from the people in charge at his evangelical church. Atkinson was inspired to go public with his story, at least in part by Jared Wilson, a personal friend and mental health advocate who was also a pastor at the Harvest Christian Fellowship megachurch in Southern California. Quote, in 2018, after several celebrities died by suicide, Mr. Wilson wrote a post arguing that, contrary to the view many Christian denominations held for centuries, suicide does not always lead to hell. He said, you wouldn't dare say that someone who died of cancer is going to hell just because of their illness, would you? Then please don't assume someone who died of suicide via severe depression is going to hell either. I love his take on that. Yeah. I really, I mean, that's one of the most level-headed things that you're going to hear come from an evangelical pulpit. Yeah. And I'm certain that it infuriated a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm reading this and my first thought is today's forecast, unsettled weather conditions with a near 100% chance of a violent shitstorm. And I was right because it gets so much worse. In September, Jared Wilson killed himself. He was the third prominent Southern California pastor to die by suicide in just over a year. And that right there is just one of the reasons. And it's a significant one why I hate this religion and all it stands for. Here was a guy who was clearly thinking in the right direction. He was thinking clearly about so much of what he himself was going through. Let me tell you something. Jared Wilson didn't kill himself. The faith that taught him to look at himself with less value than he deserved did. Because regardless of what came out of his mouth, what was going on in his head, I promise you, was different. Because there were many, many, many times that I stood behind that pulpit and presented an image of me that I knew was what the people wanted to see. Mm. But the me inside my head was way, way different. So I know. I know the pressure to do that, to be that, to constantly wear the mask and put on the game face. I know. I've been there and it sucks. Mm. And fortunately, I only had to deal with it in a structured ministry setting for a year. I have no idea where my brain would be oh, now God. if I still had to be doing that for this entire time. If I had to be doing that this whole time, where would my brain be? Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about it. Mm-mm. It goes right back to the story that I think I've told before on the show of the guest speaker that came into my pastoral ministry and practicum class right. that included absolutely no practicum. That was the great yeah. part about it. Right. I think I've told the story before, so I'll breeze past it quickly, but... Our professor brought in this guest speaker who was an elderly pastor at a local church, and he was brought in to do a talk with us on the subject of stewardship. And I just, I'm watching this guy, and you can tell that he hasn't had an independent thought about anything outside of his role as a pastor in years. All he can think about is his ministry and his next sermon. And the vacant expression in his eyes, the vacant way that he spoke, that I think is the best way to describe it. He was vacant in the way that he spoke. And I looked at this guy and I said, you know what, buddy? That is you in 50 years if you don't get the fuck out now. And that was during my senior year of college. And I'm getting ready to go into the ministry. I'm getting ready to do what this guy is doing. Yeah. And that's the thought that's going through my head. This is you. You're looking in a mirror at yourself 50 years from now. It sucks, doesn't it? Are you ready to get out of this now? 
my rational mind always they're always clawing for purchase always wanting to get out and that day i mean it's seared into my memory to the point where it's like looking at it on a movie screen i can see this guy i can see his facial expressions i can see everything right down to his eyebrows and the way that his collar was around his neck i can see all of it i can see the color of his tie it made that much of an impression on me yeah and it was one of those things that I, to this day, if those little twinges of doubt, and yes, they still make it in there once in a while, those little twinges of doubt, what if you're wrong? Well, no, I know I'm not wrong, but that part of my brain that thought like that still gets a little whisper in there once in a while. And when it whispers, I shout back with images of this guy. It's like, this could have been you. There, but for your own grace and your own intelligence and your own courage, go you. Mm. And that guy, to me, was a prime example of a pastor that has been allowed to remain in his congregation long after he started losing his marbles. Yeah. And it was actually sad to sit there and watch him and understand that this was what was happening to him. And it scared the shit out of me to think about it happening to me. Now, if you aren't angry enough at what you're hearing yet, I present to you the Ginsu Knives, but wait, there's more story for this particular episode. And I do think this one warrants a trigger warning. If you suffer from religious trauma syndrome that centers on interactions with church elders, you might want to skip the next few minutes. This is the story of Scott Capp. He was a pastor who had worked at several churches in Illinois. One of those churches sent him for biblical counseling for mental illness. The geniuses that ran the program that he was in recommended against medication for his mental health issues because of course they did. Mm -hmm. In 2014, he landed a job doing fundraising for Chicago's Moody Bible Institute, which also happened to be his alma mater. And another quote from the same article, in July 2017, Scott Capp emailed a suicide note to his family and friends, including some co-workers. In it, he discussed his bipolar disorder and the breakdown of his marriage, neither of which his co-workers were aware of, according to his parents, with whom he was living at the time. Mr. Capp didn't try to take his own life that day, but checked himself into a hospital where he stayed for 10 days. His boss visited him while he was there, his parents said, and he was placed on administrative leave from work. You see, he was being responsible. He knew that there were issues inside his head that needed to be addressed, and he was proactive about addressing them. Now, let's look at what that level of responsibility and self-assessment actually netted him. Quote, the day he returned to work on September 11th, he was fired. That same day, he posted another suicide note to Facebook, which mentioned his termination and then actually went through with it and killed himself. He was 46 years old. They should have worked with him, knowing his level of distress, and they at least could have given him the grace of some time. His father, Patrick Capps, said, a Christian organization ought to be more tolerant in a case like that. You know, if I was the father in that situation, I don't know if I would have held it together well enough to be able to say that and say it so eloquently and to be able to stop with that. I don't think that I would have been able to. One last snippet here. Moody Bible Institute declined to answer any specific questions about Mr. Capp's employment or termination because, of course, they did. Yeah. Oh, you know. I'm starting to get a little hot. Yeah, I I'm don't starting blame to get a little you. Hot. I'm, I'm hurting for all of these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mental health, again, from the article, mental health and well-being is a priority. Oh, and this, this was what they actually said. Quote, mental health and well-being is a priority at Moody. I, and I can hear the sing-songiness. Yeah. I can hear it in my head. Mental health and well-being is a priority at Moody, and we are constantly seeking how to best come alongside and support our community. You supported this guy right into his fucking grave. Congratulations. Congratulations there, Brian Regenerous, or however you pronounce it. He was the spokesman for the Institute, and that was the statement that he gave on this. Let me tell you something. Scott Capp didn't want to die. Pure and simple, he didn't want to die. The first suicide note was, in my opinion, a cry for help. 
I don't think that he intended to self-harm to that extent at that point. But then this happens. Then he's just fired from his job, and he's fired because he's sick. And that was the thing that pushed him over the edge. Let's read that quote one more time, just for the sheer and utter hypocrisy of it. Mental health and well-being is a priority at Moody, and we are constantly seeking how to best come alongside and support our community. Um, Moody Bible Institute, epic fail. Yeah. And you should be ashamed of yourselves. Seriously. The problem here is that the people in Scott's life who were supposed to be reflections of Christ's love robbed him of his sense of self-worth to the extent that he just couldn't see any reason to continue. 46 years old and his life is over. I've already had three more years than he did. And I see no finish line in sight. I have a big bucket list. I can't even think of what I'd miss out on if I just checked out now. And I say this knowing that I suffer from anxiety, depression, PTSD, and RTS religious trauma syndrome. You know what I don't have in my life though? Evangelical influence. And that I'm certain is at least a large part of why I'm still breathing and why I'm not on a dozen different meds, yeah. okay? I look at the picture of Scott Cap in this article and I see a good looking guy who had so much left to do with his life. What a pointless waste of life that could have been averted by simply applying some of the love and acceptance that these people think is modeled by their savior or maybe just doing what's in that fucking quote really just doing that now not to switch gears too quickly but this thought came to my mind and it actually did show up in the article too since i have such a soft spot in my heart for this particular organization the assemblies of god in particular has a very unsavory zero tolerance policy for mental illness within its clerical ranks and while every AG church is considered sovereign, they all take their cues from one another and from the general council. That means that attitudes and policies that show up in one church have a ripple effect, and the more intolerant and unsympathetic those policies are, the faster they spread. Why? Because it gives the policy and the decision makers just a bit of something those people prize above anything else, and that is power. What's worse is that they manufacture reasons to fire pastors they don't like and often assert that mental health issues exist where they don't at the point of accusation. There's a lot of power in suggestion. And when other people, a group of people, decide they're going to make an accusation about you, it immediately starts sowing seeds of doubt. Maybe there is something wrong with me. I mean, you hear it from one person and there's there may or may not be anything to it. You hear it from 10 people. Doesn't matter if they're all in cahoots. Doesn't matter if they've had this conversation around you already. Doesn't matter if you've been the subject of their gossip prayer this week. It doesn't matter. All you can think of is there must be something wrong with me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be hearing this so often. And that in many, many instances is a little something that we like to call gaslighting. There's a lot mm -hmm. of gaslighting that goes on with pastors in churches where there are just people that flat out don't like them. Not all mental illness crops up while these people are in the ministry. It can be heaped upon them by shit like this. Yeah. And it can start manifesting late in their careers or late in their stints with those churches. And then they try to go to another church, make a go of it someplace else. And the paranoia over what happened to them at the last church makes it difficult for them to function in another because now they're always looking over their shoulders and it's always in the back of their mind what if they were right what if those people were right about me no they weren't right about you pastor if you're listening they weren't right about you they were not okay it's a diabolical thing that these people do and whether you realize it or not these are things that permeate a lot of congregations it's called gaslighting, and it's not your fault. Look up the term, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. And then there are other things that creep into the thought processes. You add to the equation thoughts like, clearly God is trying to tell me something through all this. And now what you have is a very toxic cocktail of suggestion and doubt that can actually lead to serious mental health problems. And those problems can quickly escalate to self-destructive actions and behaviors, sometimes leading to thoughts of or attempts at suicide. 
I won't even get into the particulars of how most evangelicals approach treating mental illness because we've done several episodes on that already, but here's a one-sentence summary. They vilify any kind of mental health treatment that doesn't include indoctrination and spiritual guidance. In other words, if it's secular, it's crap. Mm. Okay? That's the way that they look at it. But the mental health community is fighting back. There are currently a small but well-organized number of mental health services that provide treatment to ministers anonymously so they can get help and not be found out by board members or vindictive pew-sitters. Now, Focus on the Family, according to the article, is one of those organizations, but they're only one. There are also secular organizations out there that follow the same basic confidentiality model who provide actual clinical secular help with deference to the pastor's spiritual leanings. Sometimes you just have to compromise a little. These are still people we're talking about here and everyone. I don't care what they believe or even what kind of craziness they perpetuate. Everyone has the right to live their lives out from under the weight of mental illness if an out can be found. And it could lead to some getting and staying unbound, and I'm all for that, but it will never happen without competent clinical help, something that Focus on the Family will never be able to provide, but which they have, ironically, become the catalyst for secular organizations to emulate with more effective therapies and more positive outcomes. Now, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, bring this in a little bit more of, I don't know if I want to call it a positive direction, but just in a direction that confirms that they're not all this batshit crazy, that there are churches out there that care about their ministers and care about the things that they go through and believe that mental illness is a real thing and not a sin. So that's what this next segment is all about. Like with many things, there are those within the ranks of Christianity who have clearer, far more level heads when it comes to the very real things that people go through. One in particular, the Christian Reformed Church of North America, understands the unique struggles faced by ministers that lead to or are exacerbated by clerical life. In an article titled Clergy and Mental Health, they outline some alarming statistics gathered from Lifeway Research and the Center for Clergy Care. The link to the actual article is in the show notes. This information comes directly from that source. Although most congregations and pastors do not want to face it, our research revealed that many ministry leaders live with mental illness. Um, brace yourselves. because And, and I, I keep saying nothing about this fucked up religion surprises me, but I keep getting thrown curveballs. The number of pastors diagnosed with clinical depression was double the national average. Double the national average. Wow. 45% sought advice from their family doctor regarding stress and anxiety issues. So almost half of those wow. went directly to their doctors and said, I believe this is what's wrong with me. Nearly one fourth of all pastors, that's 23%, acknowledge having, quote, personally struggled with mental illness. And half of those pastors say the illness has been diagnosed. That all came from Lifeway Research. So about a tithe's worth, about 12% yeah. are actually getting diagnosed. And of those, I'm not sure how many of them have admitted it to their congregations or just in this survey. Right. So I'm guessing that that number is smaller because I'm certain that they know and understand what could happen to them. Yeah. Not surprisingly, pastors accede to their own and to their congregation's demands to perform, neglecting time for self-care and for their own faith nurture. That, to me, is like the saddest part of it. But yeah. it's very, very easy to see why. And I'm going to add a couple of my comments to the end of this. But here are the things that they compiled. This one from Center for Clergy Care. Here are some of these statistics that they acquired. On average, pastors surveyed are working 50 hours a week. A quarter of them work more than 55 hours a week. Nearly 40% take fewer than three days off per month. Many ministers neglect regular exercise, personal devotions, and relaxation to find more time for serving or to avoid feeling guilty. 94% of pastors said that although they read scripture to prepare sermons, it rarely nourishes them personally. It gets to the point where they can't even find joy in this religion that they have given their lives to. Right. I said I was going to make a couple of comments. On average, pastors surveyed are working 50 hours. 
I had that beat by a country mile just during my internship. Yeah. A quarter of them worked for more than 55 hours a week. Well, yeah, that was me at Faith. And it would have been me at Mission Impossible if they were paying me anything. Yeah. I'm certain that they would have basically had the leash on me 24-7. Nearly 40% take fewer than three days off per month. I liked the way that my old senior pastor dealt with this one because we didn't get two days off in a row. I was considered pastoral staff for that summer. So I got the same days off that everybody else did. Yeah. And that usually included Saturdays and Mondays. However, if there was something going on on a Saturday, I didn't get to take that time. But our pastor made sure that I got another day and that everyone on the pastoral staff got another day. So I would take Tuesday off and then our youth pastor or associate pastor would take Wednesday off or however it panned out. So there wasn't that kind of level of burnout going on in this particular place even though we were really really busy no one was really getting burned out i was tired but i didn't feel burned out then again it was four months that was it it wasn't years so who knows how long i would have been able to keep up that pace and maintain my sanity but yeah i can absolutely see how a small church whose pastor is involved in every ministry in the church would basically never get a day off because there comes a point where you just have to get shit done. And when you're supposed to be at the men's prayer breakfast on Saturday and there's youth group on Sunday and now you have hospital visitation on Monday and somebody died. So now you're going to be doing a funeral on Tuesday. It just, it snowballs from there and your time just, it doesn't belong to you and you're, and you are taught to believe that it doesn't belong to you. Let's get right back to I must decrease so he can increase. It doesn't matter what your needs are. It doesn't matter that you have no time that's yours. It doesn't matter that you don't get to just spend time with you once in a while. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is that church and the needs of the people in it. That's it. Because you need to keep those fucking pews full. Yeah. And that's what it boils down to. You will never convince me that it has anything to do with anything far beyond what the church stands to gain by butts being in those pews. The average pastor, I think it means a little bit more to him than that. I really do. I think that there's a lot, that there are a lot of really sincere people behind those pulpits, but they're part of this nefarious system that is working its evil right around them. And they don't realize that these are the real goals that they are shooting toward. They don't realize that they're working so hard to put money in the coffers of the organization. They don't understand that. They have a real honest love for people and they want what's best for the people in their congregations. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that the system is rotten to the core and it lies to them and it deceives them and it makes what they're doing seem a lot more significant and a lot more important than it ever will be. And while I only spent a year in organized ministry, I spent loads of time doing ministry work before and after. And I can tell you one thing for certain. I relate to every one of those bullet points, all of it. And they didn't take into account people like me who hold down ministry positions while not being paid, working sometimes three jobs outside church to make ends meet. Folks, I put in 20 to 30 hours a week at Mission Impossible and never saw a single paycheck. I was handed a $300 stipend on my last day, an amount that came out to a tiny fraction of a penny per hour served. Factor in the times that I spent money out of pocket because the church refused to fund or reimburse things, and I don't think I even broke even on my own investments with that 300 bucks. 55 hours, try 25 hours at the church, 12 hours at the radio station, and 30 hours working two sales and telemarketing jobs each and every week part-time no benefits that scenario is at least relatively common and it is disgusting yeah now this has been a real heavy topic tonight and i know that there's been a lot to take in especially if you're still in this and you might be looking a little bit differently at your pastor and the work that he does and you might start noticing certain things that you didn't notice before Um, Let me just make a quick disclaimer here. Don't fall into the trap of being 
the armchair psychologist making diagnoses on your pastor or anyone that you know who is in the ministry and start tagging them with mental illness because a lot of it is just the result of the Kool-Aid that they've swallowed. It's not that they're crazy. They just don't know how to think differently about any of this shit. So not everything that looks crazy is necessarily crazy. But to end things off, I want to talk to the pastors out there for a minute. Then I want to talk to those of you who are still in this and think your pastor might be going through a personal crisis. Lastly, I want to address those of you who are out and might have left because, quote, that guy was fucking crazy. First of all, let me talk to the pastors. Um, for starters, I get it. I've seen it all from shitty board members to passive aggressive congregants to lies, insults, gaslighting, you name it. I've seen it and I've experienced it. I lasted a year. That's it. Just a year. If you have been at this for years or decades, you have a strength that I simply do not possess. And that strength deserves to be acknowledged. It does. Thank you for doing what you do and doing it at the expense of your own self, your personal comfort, your own self-care, and anything else that you are sacrificing to be behind that pulpit and do what you believe to be helping people. The world needs more people like you in it. I can't say that I agree with your methods, but I think that people like you need to be out there and you need to be doing good for the world. I also think that there's a lot better that you could be doing than standing behind that pulpit. That's not an insult. It's just something to think about. But thank you for being one of those people because there aren't enough of you out there. It's time for you to start thinking about things like self-care and personal comfort and doing something that you like once in a while or just spending some time with you once in a while. It's time to start thinking about these things. It's time to start getting well in your mind. It's time to start being you. It's time to start looking into a future that includes the abundant life your Savior promised but can never actually deliver. You know who can? You can. And it's time to start pursuing it. You see, I know what you've sacrificed. You've sacrificed your intellect, derailing a promising future to go to Bible college. You sacrificed your dreams for the sake of your calling. You've spent years trying to build something good on a foundation of sand. It's time to let it fall. It is not too late to learn a new skill, to start a business, or just get another job. Take your life back before your vocation takes it from you, literally. Please. Please. Now, now, if you're on the other side of the pulpit and you're still in this, see something? Say something. If something seems off about your pastor or about the things that you see in him, like I said before, not everything is crazy, but everything is worth a look, okay? So if it seems off, you're probably right. It probably is. Say something, not to a board member, not in a prayer circle. Say something to your pastor. Do not let him crash and burn. Reach out, offer support, ask, are you okay? Invite your pastor to dinner and enjoy the time spent together as people, not Christians, not leader and subordinate, as people. It's something that is sadly lacking in your pastor's life. Please do not put on a show. Don't try to create a spiritual atmosphere around pot roast. Just be you and let him be him. I promise you, it's not something he's used to and it will mean so much. Just knowing that someone else gets it could be the difference between that person ending his life and beginning to see and explore the value of it. In a worst case scenario, you might lose your pastor because he realizes his self-worth and gets out. In a best case scenario, you'll follow his example and finally make the break yourself. If you've listened this far, you're at least considering it. If you're out and you know a pastor who might be in crisis, do something. Reach out. Contact him or her, but it's almost always him. Again, ask if he's okay. Let him know that help is out there. 
position yourself as a friend and take genuine interest in his safety and well-being. Be someone who believes him about his illness and doesn't judge. Let him know he's right to want clinical help. Provide him with good options or avenues of treatment and offer support. You could be saving his life and in so doing also leading him to a place where he gets away from a lifestyle and work atmosphere that's killing him and starts getting unbound. hope you enjoyed this episode of Unbound. Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode are listed in the show notes available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound. Unbound.